You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we're going to talk about the Great Commission in regards to our support and encouragement of uh, some missionaries that we support in Mexico. Um, I love that word commission. You know, it's God's great command. He's going to talk about that. But there's a part of that word that just kind of stood out to me as I was sitting there is that co part. That's something we do together. All right. So this is a mission we are to be doing collaboratively together. And um, he's going to be talking a little bit, uh, Tynan and Lydia, about their experiences. But uh, Tynan, come on up here. And um, could you do me a favor, Corey, and bring that, that podium right over here over? You're more than welcome to bring your, your food, too, if you want. I'm sure he's hungry. All right, so thank you, sir. Um, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Um, he was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. He was a, he was a kid. He was a student. And then years later, when he started dating Lydia, Lydia was a part of our church as well uh, in those early days. And, and uh, what a blessing, what, a, what an opportunity it is. He's a, he's a man of God, and he's doing the work of God, and we get to couple with that. And um, I'm going to hand it over to Tyne and his family. Let's give it up for uh, the Barnes. Well, thank you. Well, good morning, Living Way. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Good morning. It's good to see you all again, everybody here. Praise God. Let me just open up with a word of prayer and just give the Lord thanks for the opportunity we have. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have. In your son, Jesus Christ, who has given his life for us, I thank you for the opportunity we have to take you wherever we go, to be a lighthouse, to be a salt to the uh, unsalted parts of this earth. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Open our ears to hear and our hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So, got some questions for you, you know, some rhetorical questions. Get you start thinking about the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, so... Start off a little different here this morning. Turn open to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read the Great Commission. But I want you to think about this. Um, When Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age, how many believe that Jesus is with you? Amen. Anybody else believe Jesus is with you no matter what? All right. Praise God. Then if we believe that Jesus is always with us, even to the end of this age, then we have to go before and read what the rest of what we're supposed to do. And Jesus said, came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So we can't have one part without the other. If you believe Jesus is with you, then you have to believe in the great commission that he is sending you wherever you go, back to school, to your work, to your home. Back to your home state, if, you know, if you're from like Indiana, like my wife is. You, God will be with you no matter where you go. So let's take, a, let's take a quick question. How do you think the Christian church as a whole is doing with the Great Commission? It's kind of a rhetorical question. You think about it. How many Christians are there in the world today? How many could there be if we were about the Great Commission 
like Jesus told us to be. Go and make disciples. If I make a disciple, Ted, you know, came, made a disciple. Here I am. Now I'm going and I'm making disciples. That's the whole point of making disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had taught us. I don't go out and teach, you know, Jesus has a brother named Lucifer. That's not discipleship. That is heresy and that's wrong. Ted taught us when I was a youth, you know, Jesus died for our sins. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He had lots of wonderful things to say because they were based in the word of God. So what is your role? What is your role in the Great Commission? Think about it. How can you be a part of the Great Commission? How can you play a role? And, you know, I kind of have a little analogy, a toilet paper role. It's used for something. So you have your role. What is your role in the Great Commission? What are some goals, dreams, and desires you hope to fulfill in carrying out your role? These are things, you know, getting you to think the Great Commission. Jesus Christ, what did he do for me? And what can I in turn share the love of Christ with others? What goals do you have? One-year goal, five-year goal, ten-year goal. Think about it. What can I have as goals? And you'll hear some of these stories that we're about to tell you, but, you know, you're going to have obstacles. There are obstacles in your ways. Health, government, persecution, just personally speaking, things that have gone wrong that you have to rely upon the Lord to get you around these obstacles or challenges that have placed in your way. And then I want you to think, what kind of rewards do you want to see from being involved in the Great Commission? What kind of rewards do you want to see happen in your family, in your life? How can that change? How can that be a betterment for the church? So I've got a few, uh, a few stories, more than one, and uh, love to have my wife join me up here to help me tell these stories because she looks better than I do on stage. And um, first of all, I want to, you know, we were doing some research in Mexico because that's where we feel the Lord call us. When we went down to Mexico, it was, uh, what, 2010, you know, I was like, I was in prayer and I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go except Mexico. I don't want to go to Mexico. I had a bad experience and I don't want to return to Mexico. And so we didn't go anywhere for many years, and 2012 came around, and it was like, you know what, I'm tired. I'll throw my hands up, Lord, wherever you want me to go, even if it's Mexico, and within two weeks, Mexico, <laughs> the door for Mexico opened up, and now we're in love with Mexico and tacos. Tacos are a good thing. They are very good. So being there, we have... Uh, recognize that there are over 62 indigenous people groups just to Mexico alone. That means they speak their own language. Many of them have their own form of writing. So like the area I was in, in uh, Michoacan, they spoke Porepecha, so Nariharaski, in different variations. That's, you know, how are you? Como estas? Como esta? Como esta usted? You know, if you want to get in technical verbs. So... With over being 62 indigenous people groups, there are still 10, 10 groups that are still unengaged, they have no workers, and unreached. They still have no workers. There is no work going on. 
So we're praying about, Lord, which one of these groups, where are they at, and how can we reach them? You read Numbers 13, and you see how they went to spy out the land. Tomorrow, I'm headed down to Mexico and spying out the land and getting things ready. So Lydia and I wanted to tell you more about what's going on, tell you stories, and how you can get involved, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.17, we're not seeking the gift, but the fruit that may be abound to your account. In the last year and a half, some of you know that we were, um, we returned to the States. Uh, we had just completed a two-year uh, church planting apprenticeship in Mexico. So as that came to a close, um, we were asked to uh, come back to the States, get some more training, and just see what new direction God had for us. And um, about a year passed, and uh, we started asking the Lord and said, you know, hey, Lord, uh, we're ready to go back. Where should we go? What part of Mexico? Where well, do you want us to go? Yeah, where? And he said, uh, go to Florida. Florida. And we looked. There's not a Florida in Mexico. Thinking make La Florida or something, you know, silly like that. But there wasn't. So the Lord directed us to go to Florida. And um, as we were praying about it, the Lord also um, directed us to uh, change mission agencies, and um, that is one of the challenges that we had of just really uh, knowing that we knew what God's next plan for us, because we were still stuck in um, stuck in Mexico. So I said, "Okay, we'll go to Florida." So we found Globe, and Globe's mission is to equip and assist those who have a God-given calling on their life, Amen. which He had given us. So uh, they were founded out of Pensacola Bible College. And um, they have just really uh, come alongside of us and helped us find out what our call is um, in this next season. Amen. So what we're looking at is our family desires. We seek out those unreached, unengaged people groups that don't have any work and to begin a discipleship process. Go and make disciples, not converts. Go and make disciples, and those disciples can make other disciples. So... Being in Mexico, we were there for two years, and the first time our family went up to a, a village, it was called Latinaja. Now, to describe what Latinaja is, if you go back into the book of John, John, you know, is saying, Jesus turned the water into wine. Well, when Jesus told him, fill those vessels with water, in Spanish, he said, fill those tinajas with water. So Latinaja is a vessel or a big jug. So that's what the word Latinaja means. So we went up to Latinaja because the jefe invited us to go to Latinaja to invite his, to uh, meet his family and just to get to know us a little better, you know, not, nothing wrong with meeting white people. So we decided, okay, let's go up there. We just did some uh, uh, CPR, classes. CPR classes. I'm glad I didn't say CPS. CPR classes. <laughs> And, and we went up there, and so we knocked on the gate, and man, all these people's heads started sticking out the windows, looking down at the heavy's house. Man, there's a lot of white people out here. What do they want with the jefe? You know, it's just me and my wife, and I had four kids at the time. And, uh, you know, Ophelia answers the door, and we're waving at everybody, and uh, Ophelia is the, the wife of the jefe. She invites us in, and we found out she's pregnant with her fifth child. Lydia's pregnant with her fifth child, and I'm still on my third trimester. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Lydia and Ophelia just 
hit it right off. I mean, they're, they're like bosom buddies because they're pregnant with their fifth child. It, it's just, they, they went really well. The doors opened for a relationship to start there. And we started doing little Bible studies with them and just loving on them. And, and you know, uh, Ophelia was due in September with her fifth child. Lydia was due with uh, Oren, who's back in the uh, kids' area, in uh, November. So September rolls around, Ophelia has her baby, and then uh, we're thinking, well, we need to get up to see her, but our focus right now is to take care of this medical clinic. On the other side of the mountain from Latina has a place called Siquicho, and we were doing a medical clinic for over 1,000 people. That's a lot of work and a lot of time you're investing into getting things done, calling doctors, medicine, getting everything taken care of. And so, okay, so after this medical clinic, we're going to go see Ophelia because Lydia still has five weeks before she gives birth. And on that first day of the medical camp, people are like this to Lydia, you know, get my name down. I need to get to see a doctor. And I mean, and she's like, back up, back up. And I'm standing there watching and just crowds of people pouring in and and she starts going into labor. They're like, oh, okay. So she went to go see our uh, OBGYN, and he's there working the, the clinic for free, praise God. And uh, he says, you're a centimeter dilated. Go home. Tynan, don't bring her back. And take this medicine so her contractions stop. We go home, and she gets up at like 3 in the morning and is just pacing back and forth, back and forth, because the baby's coming. So she wakes me up at 7 o'clock, and I'm thinking, again, this is Braxton Hicks, because all four of our other kids, had Bra she had Braxton Hicks, where, you know, she thought the baby was coming, but they weren't. So I went, and I took a shower. <laughs> and she says, the baby's coming. I said, okay, call the doctors. And we called the doctors before they could get out of signal range, because you're in the mountains, you're in Mexico, and cell service doesn't work in many areas in Mexico. So we get a hold of them. They said, yeah, come down to the hospital, and we'll take a look, see what's going on. We get there. I have to carry Lydia up the stairs because there's no elevators and get her to the doctor's office, and he's examining her. And he goes, okay, it looks like you've progressed too much, but the baby's not able to progress down the canal. So, Tynan, do you want me to cut your wife this way, or do you want me to cut her this way? <laughs> I'm not a doctor, doctor however you think is best. He says, I, I think I should cut her up and down. If that's what you think, that's fine. Just make sure my wife is okay. And so they take her down, downstairs to the operating room, and they cut her open, get the baby out, and they found that Oren had two true knots in his umbilical cord with one side already having the blood vessel broken off. So he wasn't getting a supply of blood. And uh, they called, they, they came out, they showed me the umbilical cord. You know, I got to touch it because that's the kind of person I am. I've got to touch things. Mom said, don't touch when you're in a store. What do I do? Touch. <laughs> kind of like my kids. Remember, you reap what you sow. So there I am, and the doctors say, come in here, Tynan. I'm like, what are you, what? And I step into the operating room. Don't I need to wash up? And they said, no, no, just don't touch anything. So the doctor reaches over, grabs Lydia, pulls aside her womb, says, what's all this stuff in here? And I'm like, you're the doctor, doctor. That's her intestines. No, 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 this white stringy stuff. I'm like, I don't know what it is. Again, you're the doctor. 
So I tell people I know my wife inside and out. <laughs> but I'm both. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm out, and the doctors are back and forth. They had to call a specialist because they didn't know what was going on with her, and they were, es muy grave. Que feo tainan, es muy grave. It's very ugly. It's very uh, grave. And I'm like, you know, 10 months into, into Spanish language, I'm like, okay, it's, it's grave. I really didn't understand what that meant. <laughs> and it, they, these were some of our close personal friends, and they, they were holding back tears because they didn't think Lydia was going to live through it. When they pulled the baby out, they had found uh, later on that she had, her intestines were cut open by a gallstone. So they had to call a, a doctor, a specialist, to come in, fix her intestines, put them back together, and then they gave her an injection to, you know, kill all the, uh, an antibiotic to kill the infection in her stomach. And that caused her kidneys to fail. It was like one thing after another, and they'd push on her skin. She had edema, not a demon, but edema. <laughs> we were in one of those, uh, another hospital, and the doctor came in and started talking to Lydia in Spanish. Lydia, tú tienes una edema, edema. Lydia goes, I beg your pardon, I don't have a demon. <laughs> he goes, no, no, Lydia, I said edema, not a demon. You speak English? Yeah, that's enough for now. <laughs> the doctors there love playing with us. So. so after having said all that, if Oren wasn't born on Monday, he would have been dead on Tuesday, and Lydia shortly thereafter, if this gallstone hadn't ruptured her intestines and the baby wasn't born. So we praise God for the circumstances and situation he allows us to go through. So it was another six to eight weeks for her to recovery, and we had to make sure she was recovered six to eight weeks longer, and we finally got back up to the village to see Ophelia and their family. And we knock on the gate, and here comes Ophelia, open it up. Biggest smile you see from a brown face, and she actually had all her teeth smiling, and just like, oh, Ben, Ben, come in, come in. They were so excited to see us. They said, every time somebody knocked on the gate, she said, I was hoping it was you because you and Tynan have shown us what love and true friends are. That was indeed a special time for us. And um, we told our story to her after that of how God saved my life and the baby's life and everything that he did to provide for us there. And it was a testimony to the people there. So... Um, I also wanted to tell you a story, uh, one of my favorites, of a gentleman who lived in Sequicho across the mountain, and uh, he owned an avocado orchard because Michoacan is the avocado capital of Mexico. We had him growing on a tree out back, so none of this going to Walmart to pay $5 for an avocado. We could get it right there. And um, so he owned this orchard, this big expanse of land, and he was on the back side of the orchard um, on horseback and checking out his property. And uh, something spooks the horse, knocks him clean off this horse, he lands on his back and he blacks out. And he's telling us the story and we're just, our eyes bug out because he said, I came to my senses and I could see that the sun was going down, it was getting dark. I couldn't feel anything, I couldn't move, I didn't know where my horse was. He's like, I panicked, I got desperate. He's like, so I cried out to God and said, Lord, if you're there, save me. And around the corner, here comes a teenage boy on his property, not where he's supposed to be, 
and rescues him, takes him home to his family. And uh, the Christian brothers in the village, they heard about it about a week later about Gabriel and his accident, and they had uh, felt that they needed to go pray for him. So we took a group of new believers to uh, pray for him, and uh, we did that and continued that for about three or four weeks. And about the third week, they were praying, and he goes, look at this, guys. He lifts a finger. And then later it was an arm and a leg and his head. And God healed that man uh, of a broken neck. And while we were uh, praying, he said, you know, he's like, I've been a Catholic all my life. And tradition has really spoken to what I believe and why I believe it. He's like, but you know, he's like, when I cried out to God and he saved me, he's like, my whole thought process changed. Do you have anybody that could come and tell me about this God I cried out to? And the Christian brother said, we sure do. And they sent us. So we got to be instrumental in his life and in his salvation and just really got to disciple him. And it was with him that we really uh, found our calling, our role of, of how we could play, um, you know, with what the Lord had given us to do. And that was a really a big blessing to us. Amen. So what I did forget to tell you is, you know, Lydia got two units of blood, so now she's part Mexican. <laughs> so you still have your Bibles. Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 5 on. And, uh, you know, in Mexico, when we were up in Latinaja, our whole focus was to plant churches. So, you know, not looking like a building church, but get people discipled, and get them a part of God's word. And so we wanted to start a church, plant a seed, and see it all the way to the end. So in reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 5, go through 11. Who then is Paul, or Tynan, who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which, has, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So while we were there, we did these little Bible studies with Ophelia. There's another neighbor who was hungry. Uh, they just didn't have anything, so we'd bring them food. And then we'd also bring them spiritual food, little Bible studies, little snippets. Because there's a lot of persecution going on. If we were to step out and, we're a Christian, you know, that's, that's the end for that generation. They know that people, they will not allow people like us to come back up in that village. So things have to be done in a slow, slow process. So sometimes it can take five years to get a disciple. William Carey, the father of modern-day missions, it took him seven years for his first convert. So imagine tough and resistant people group who will kill you because you are Christian. They don't like Christian. They say, somos católicos. We are Catholic. We don't want your religion. We don't want Christianity. 
kind of blows our mind here. But there in that port of Mexico, they don't want to be Christian. They want to be Catholic. And so we were doing these little Bible studies in Latinaja, a little bit of stories. And one day Ophelia comes and shows us a little Bible that a Jehovah's Witness gave her. And we're like, okay, great. Go grab your Catholic Bible. Because the Catholic Bible is the Word of God. It just has a few extra books, the Apocrypha that's put in. And we said, go grab your Catholic Bible. So we turned open to John 1.1 and we looked at both Bibles. Which one is the Bible that's real? So we read, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was a God. Okay, let's read the Catholic Bible. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So there's the big difference, and it's like a light bulb. Oh, really? There's a change. He's not just a God out of possible many gods. He is God. So there's a difference in the translation. We loved on this people. We sacrificed a lot. We, we met with so many different people there. And when our two years came to an end, we were just, you know, right at the cusp of let's continue moving on and build a church here. Not a physical one, like I said earlier, but let's get more people involved. And so what had happened is it was time for us to come back. Our two years were up and we couldn't finish what we had started. We planted a seed, but we couldn't see it to the end. And that was our hope, our desire. We had a goal of seeing a church planted. And so we heard about four or five months ago this scripture verse of 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. We planted a seed, and we heard just four or five months ago that a Purepecha pastor from the neighboring village is now continuing to water that seed that we planted. And that, that little Bible study is starting to grow. There's a few more people involved. And at the house where they're having the Bible study now, the Catholic Church has come against it and said, stop having these Bible studies. And the lady that owns the house says, no, I'm being healed from these Bible studies. Do your worst. Imagine saying that to somebody who will actually kill you because you're, you're having the Word of God being taught in your house. That's not by a priest. That's not by the Catholic Church. So they're receiving persecution, but they're growing. They love God. And that's where this verse really came to life for me, is that, it, you know, yes, I did something, but somebody else is building upon that foundation, the word of God, Jesus Christ. So, Latinaja is no longer in our hands, it's in God's hands. And we thank God that he could foresee that what we couldn't, that he needed somebody there, and it wasn't us at that time. We started something, somebody else has come in. So... Just a little bit, you know that Ted was my youth pastor growing up as a kid. Yes, that guy right there. Ted and Nicole, I remember they were uh, graduates of Christ for the Nations. They were both RAs, and, you know, for me that was, like, weird because I never was. <laughs> but uh, my very first mission trip, I went to Peru. Ted said, hey, we're having a mission trip. Anybody who wants to go, come in to this meeting, and... I was there, and, you know, it was $1,000. I was like, $1,000? I'm 15 years old. I don't have 10 bucks to my name, let alone a dollar. How am I going to get $1,000? And uh, so I went to my dad's boss, thinking, okay, this is where I'll start. I'll talk with him, and I had a few other people I was going to send out letters to and talk with them, my grandparents. And, and I said, I'd like to go on this mission trip to Peru. 
He says, okay, well, how much does it cost? And I said, $1,000. He pulls out a check, writes out a $1,000 check, and said, here you go. Have fun. You know, I was in shock. I was like, yes, I get to go to Peru. I get to travel the world. 15-year-old kid gets to leave home and have his birthday in a foreign field. That was cool. I knew God had called me to be a missionary or a, a minister of some sort when I was a little boy, like five or six years old. I knew the Lord had impressed upon me to be a minister. But I didn't know what that looked like. I thought it was a pastor. And today I thank God that I don't have to take on Ted's responsibility. <laughs> I enjoy the responsibility God has placed in my heart and the burden he has placed on me to be a minister, a missionary. And so we were there in Peru, and, you know, Peru is where the Andes Mountains are, and we're in this one little village. I'm looking at Ted. Hey, Ted, can I climb those mountains and see what's on the other side? And, you know, he, he kind of grabs a hold of me. No, Tynan, stay here. Because <laughs> I was the kind of person that would just kind of wander off and climb a tree, do whatever, just see what's out there, be a part of something different than what they're doing. And uh, we were at this little church, small, small church, had a small kids area, and there's a tree growing up in the backyard, and it's about to fall over. It's dying. It's not dead, but it's getting there. And, and they said, we need somebody to help us cut down this tree. Can anybody help us? You know, I'm a 15-year-old kid. Ooh, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. And so they give us a dole, a dole axe, a dole machete, and it's like, have at it, but you've got to start up there. 20, 30 feet in the air, no problem. I've climbed trees since I was a kid. I'm climbing these trees, breaking branches as I'm going up, holding on to the trunk. And I get to the top, you know, not the tippy top, because I couldn't get up that high. But I got up enough to where I could cut the tree down. I'm cutting it down, dropping pieces down. Well, all of a sudden, a, a friend of ours named Daniel starts cutting down the bottom of the tree while I'm up top. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? He says, it's just a dull axe. We'll, we'll make it. Let me get down first. So I cut, I cut that tree down from bottom to top because I took the axe away from him to finish my job. And uh, later on, they, they gave me a nickname there in Peru called White Monkey. Hey, Mono Blanco, you know. Yeah, I guess I am. I'm a white monkey. And while, while we were there in Peru, I was in Cathedral de Fe and, you know, Cathedral de Fe was, is a, a, one of the largest churches there in Peru, and I was doing a quiet time, and the Lord confirmed in my spirit what he had told me when I was five. And he said, this mission work is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. And it was there that, okay, I understand that. And I thank God that he gave me a calling that I can fulfill and walk out, not only myself, but with the love of my life who has a calling on missions too. When I was eight years old, um, I come from Indiana, and we had a small little church out in the country called Zion Lake Christian Center. It was backed up against the lake, so we always had summer camp and youth camp and retreats, and guest speakers come all the time. And this one Sunday, I remember um, that Klaus Kugler came to visit, sort of like we're here visiting you today, and he was a missionary to the Nawa people of Papua New Guinea. And he was showing us a slideshow. This was early 80s people. Remember the slideshows? And it would show pictures of his area. And one of the pictures out of 200 he showed us really impacted me. And that was of these two youth with their arms around each other, and their faces were like stoic and cold. And I could tell that they didn't have the love of Jesus. 
And I thought to myself, sitting there listening, I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to one day take the gospel to these indigenous people? And But I was eight years old. What could I do at that time? So the years pass, and I get to high school, and I had a desire to be a journalist as well as a wife and a mother to children. And um, I wondered where, you know, that calling would fit in. And God uh, reminded me of that. And so I came to Dallas to Christ for the Nations to get a Bible degree so that I did have that foundation uh, to tell people about Jesus. And it was there that I met Tynan. And um, God has just brought my calling full circle now. Um, now I have five children. We're missionaries in Mexico. And some of these villages that we've been talking about has been uh, my opportunity, my role in um, serving the Lord in the Great Commission. Oh, yeah. So one last story from me, and I know Lydia's got another story, is um, on the other side of the mountain, I told you there's Sequicho where we did a medical clinic, and that's where Gabriel had broken his neck and the Lord had healed him, and we were discipling Gabriel. Well, on this side of the mountain in Sequicho, uh, one day, discipling Gabriel got kind of late in the night. You don't drive late at night in Mexico, and we broke that rule nine times out of ten because we didn't have an option. And uh, you try not to drive alone, so... Yeah, that didn't happen. And it was after 6 o'clock, so all the buses quit running. And so we finish up having this uh, Bible study, Disciple with Gabriel, and I'm, I'm heading alone at night, headed back down the mountain, getting ready to begin, and there's this guy who walks out and puts his arms up. Stop! Basta! Basta! Stop! Do I pull over? Because nobody's there with me. I was like, do I pull over? I keep driving and ignore him. I pulled over. I stopped. ¿Qué pasó, amigo? What do you want? What, what's up? He says, hey, man, the combis, the buses stopped running. Can you take me down to Los Reyes? Because I don't want to walk. It's a 30-minute drive down there. So, sure, sure, I can do that. Jump on in. You know, two people driving down in the evening times better than one. And we start driving down, and this guy's five minutes into it. You know, we're just talking, and he looks at me and says, so who are you, what do you want, and are you a Christian? Wow. Yeah, just throw that dipstick in there. So, you know, I threw one back at him. Well, are you even a good Catholic? Do you have a Bible to read? No. But my mom has a Bible. What good is that going to do you? And, you know, he says, well, are you a good Christian? I said, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin. He was crucified on a cross. And he was buried, and three days later, he rose again from the dead. That is the whole crux of Christianity is the belief in Christ Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. I said, do you believe that? Well, that's what my priest tells me to believe. Like, you don't know what to believe? That's ah, whatever he says. He's smarter than I am. I was like, well, how can this be? You know, this is my first huge exposure to a Catholicism that's not really Catholic. It's got a lot of animism and witchcraft in it. The priests still send the uh, people to the witch doctor to get their blessing or the curse on somebody. So it's really a really different culture in Catholicism. And so I, you know, several months earlier, I was at a, uh, at a church, Catholic church. They invited us to, to have... Um, just to be there to, to love on the family that the family had invited us for their first communion. 
And so in this first communion, they're having um, uh, the priest come out and start talking to people. And I'm listening, and they're saying, you know, there are different degrees of sin. If you lie, it's only down here. If you, you know, steal, it gets worse, and your penance gets worse. And then, you know, murder and adultery, they're way up. And it's like, what is this guy talking about? That's not even what the Word of God says. So we, you know, when we left there, we took our kids out, and we said, for the wages of sin is death. That's one sin. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we clarified to our kids. But it goes to tell you what kind of spiritual need they have is that they believe whatever is told to them rather than seeking out the scripture for themselves and knowing what, what God has for them. So I told you earlier about the family in Latinaja and Ophelia, and she had five kids. Four were boys. The oldest was a daughter, Angeles, and she was just 15 when we met her. And um, she was planning to go to school in the fall to graduate sixth grade. Most of the kids in our area didn't make it past the sixth grade because uh, they're in an avocado area. They work um, in the fields for their family so that they can uh, earn money. They earn about $10 a day there. And um, so Ophelia had told her, given her the news, that no, you're not going to go to school this uh, fall. I mean, how many kids in here would like to know that? I get to stay home and help with the baby. Yay. Um, I'm pretty sure you all would. But um, we were kind of upset because, uh, you know, Americans are about education, education, education. We want our children to get a good education so they can feel, fulfill the call of God on their lives. And so um, she got to stay home, and that turned out to be a blessing uh, for her and us because she was there in the kitchen making tortillas when um, I would be telling Ophelia stories. And at first I thought she wasn't listening, but I caught her giggling one day after a story I told, and I thought, okay, I see you over there. You're, you're uh, listening, and, which was good. And a week later I went back up for another visit, and her mom had stepped out. Uh, on an errand, and it gave me a chance to just find out where she was in her walk and in her faith and um, how much of um, influence she had had from uh, the Catholics in the area, and turns out she was really hungry uh, to hear more about Jesus, so uh, we asked her parents, and we told them that uh, we'd like to invite them to a Christian Bible study for the youth up in Sequicho, and they said yes. Um, so we took her and her brother, and that was uh, just an amazing thing that happened in her life. She was 15, really young, um, didn't know what she wanted to do with her life really, um, but she gets saved while she's there. And as soon as she gets saved, Angeles is just this little evangelist on fire for the Lord, and she started telling everybody she came in contact with about Jesus and what he did for her. And um, one time at youth, she brought her uncle. How many would bring your uncle to youth with you? You know, like he was like 10 years older than her. And I can imagine that I'd be embarrassed. But she would <laughs> talk to everybody. And uh, she also brought her best friend's mother's cousin's sister one night. So it didn't matter if they were related by blood or family or neighbors or another village. She had a heart to share about Jesus. And um, you may be out there today, and you may, um, as a young child, think, well, what could I do? I'm only eight, or what can I do? 
um, I'm going back to school and um, I don't know what God has for me to do, well, ask him because he is able to show you and encourage you and equip you to do what he has um, with you for your life. You know, we just got some news back in May that uh, Angeles, who got married at the age of 16 and she's now 17, had their first baby girl. So they are now, she is married to a Christian man, going to a Christian church and a part of that little Bible study in Latinaja. So we give God praise for Angeles. If it was only to be in Mexico for Angeles to get saved, it was really worth it all because she became on fire for the Lord. So, you know, we want to thank you very much for all that you have been doing with us and for us in Mexico because you've been partnered with us from the beginning in Mexico. Getting there, the struggles, we, you know, it took us three days to get on a one-day journey because of some of the, the obstacles presented before us, some of the language barriers, some of the things like that. But as I, I kind of got you started on the beginning, what does the Great Commission look like for you? How can you get involved? How can you be a part of the Great Commission? You know, John Piper said it this way, and I really love it. Go, send, or disobey. You got three options, and really you only have one, and that's to obey, not disobey, to go or send. So in this opportunity, we want to give you to think more about it, to pray, to open your hearts to what God has for you is to tell you a little bit about partnership. What partnership looks like between us and you and as missionaries to those who are not able to go. And so there are two parts, our part and your part. Our part, we want to be your hands and feet among the people in Mexico to do the work there that God has called both of us to do. Secondly, we want to keep in constant communication with you, newsletters, emails, texts, whatever, but we have to first have your address and your information to be able to get that to you. And third, we want to be praying for you. Pray for any needs you have. I don't take that lightly. When I get a prayer request, we pray for it. We open up our hearts. The last one we had, I called a guy, and he says, I'm working on this airplane, and I cannot find the problem. Can you, would you pray for us? This isn't me, okay? This is all God. So we stopped. I started praying, Lord, you can show him what is lost, what is missing. Five minutes later, he says, I can't believe it, but we found the problem. I fixed it, and I'll be home tomorrow, because he is in North Carolina. So we would love to pray for you. What does partnership look like on your end, on the sending end? First and foremost, we need you to pray for us. We're in a very hostile area sometimes. They're, they don't care for Christians, and it's only because of what they are taught. Catholics who enter into a Christian church are going to hell. That's what they're taught by their priests. And we know that's not right because we love on them and we care for them. We love God, love others, and we want to make disciples. Second, we would ask that you would partner with us financially in the Great Commission. Be a part of the Great Commission. And thirdly, to be an advocate, kind of be our lawyer when we're not able to be around, to talk to people about missions. Tell them these stories because these stories are your stories. They're not ours. They're yours. You're a part of this team. So having said this, we wanted to ask you, think about it. Is there any reason you can think of that you wouldn't be able to partner with us today in missions, in the Great Commission? Pray about it. Be a part of the Great Commission, the command to go. To be a part of an, the next mission trip that Ted has planned out. So we want to pray for you right now. We want to say thank you so much again.
but we also want to pray for you and thank you so much for all that you have done. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you sent your son to die upon the cross. Lord, to forgive us of our sin. You, you, you beat death. You have victory over it. Lord, there is nothing that is impossible for you. And Lord, we lift up living way today in the name of Jesus, that you would give them a passion for the Son of God. You would give them a passion for the Great Commission. Lord, you would touch their hearts in such a way that they would be involved in their local community. They'd be involved in, in the world in the Great Commission of sending and of, and of obeying your words that you have placed in their lives. Father, we love you that you thought of us before we ever thought of you. Lord, I pray for, for their physical needs that they may have. Any ailments that are, are upon them, Lord, you would heal them as you healed Gabriel. You would touch them and receive the glory, Lord. For their jobs that they are looking for, if they are out of work, I pray you would show them. Guide them to the place that they can be most used, that they can be a light in this dark world. Lord, continue to move in their hearts, revealing to them who you are, Jesus. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.